0: Okay, just before we get to Moses, I, I want to kind of remember, remind you of most of the leaders that we've seen in the Old Testament. If you've been reading with us in the Bible Project, you know what I'm talking about. If not, I'm, I'm not going to preach this in a way that you've got to read it, but I really encourage you. You need to be reading with us. It, it is awesome. The videos along with the Bible is awesome, but when, especially in the book of Judges. Okay, think about Samson. Okay, so Samson. Oh, wait, wait. Now, now, Samson won a lot of victories, right? But was he a leader? Tell me a time he led, tell me a time that he did something with somebody else. You know, and Gideon, Gideon, okay, Gideon was a leader for just a little while, I mean, he inspired the guys, 300 of them were willing to go into battle, but then right after that, he becomes fat cat. He's ready to just take what, but I don't wanna lead you anymore. I don't wanna be your leader, I don't wanna be over you. Not gonna do it, not gonna do it. He wasn't, Jephthah, oh man, that horrible thing he did, Eli and his two scoundrels of, a, of sons, you know, and all of that, that they, that they, had, they had come to this position of, of ranking authority as high priests and his sons, and they were taking advantage of it. And now we're uh, into the book of 1 Samuel, and we're reading about King Saul. And we're just a few days in, but already we're starting to see, man, something's not quite right with Saul. I mean, you know, because God is already saying, I'm sorry that I ever made him to be king. You know, and so here we see, you know, and if we look at, we look at all these guys, we would, we would probably take it that to be a leader means that you climb the ranks to get to be a leader so that you can take care of yourself, so that you can get all the stuff, you know, so that you can be the top dog. Isn't that what a leader is? That's what the world thinks. Amen. That's what the world thinks. But that's not what God has called us to be. And that's not what servant leader is. And, and, you, and you may think, well, servant, well, that doesn't sound very fun, or what? But oh, no, it's, it's the only way to do it. Listen, we, we, put, we put the wrong emphasis on the wrong things. But more important, more important than ability, and talent, and intelligence, is attitude. Okay, now I waited in the first service and now the second service to see if I got a big amen. I know, I know we look at that and say, I don't know, pastor. You know, when I'm hiring somebody to do a job, I, I don't just want attitude. No, 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 but listen to me. If you're a little, you know, if you, you're a little short on the ability, but you can get the job done. If you're a little short on the talent, but you can get the job done. If you don't have as much intellect about a situation, but you can get the job done. Maybe it's not as much as somebody else, but you can get the job done. You're going to slow us down for an hour getting the job done. But if you've got a bad attitude, you will destroy the job. And you'll destroy the unity. And you'll destroy what is going on. You'll destroy the crew. You'll destroy the momentum. You'll, you'll destroy everything. Billy, so and If you don't believe me, rem, those of you... Again, remember the Bible project when we were reading about when Samuel went over to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel? You Remember, God said, go over, and he said, I want you to anoint because I'm, I, I'm, I'm sorry I made Saul king. So go over to Jesse's house. You remember what happened? And Jesse starts bringing his sons by, and, and Samuel starts looking at, at those things. He starts looking at those things. He sees, he sees these guys big, strong, good-looking, mature, confident charismatic, you know, and all of that. God said, I didn't choose him. I didn't choose him. I didn't choose him. I didn't choose him. Finally, David comes up and God says, that's the one. And you know what God had already told Samuel before he got there? You remember what God told Samuel that he was looking for? He said, I am looking for a man after my own attitude. I'm looking for a man after my own heart. God said, I'm looking for a guy with the right attitude. Not the guy who knows it all. Not the guy who has the ability to do it all. Not the guy who has figured it all out. I'm looking for a guy with the right attitude. The guy that's following after my own heart because Saul had the ability. He had the talent. He's got the intellect, but he doesn't have the right attitude. But Moses. But Moses. Moses was a man who led for the purpose of serving. Okay, that doesn't make sense, does it? Even like the term servant leader doesn't make sense, does it? Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? You know, that they contradict each other, just cancel each other out. You ain't got nothing. Servant leader, nothing, right? No, they're not oxymorons. Moses led to serve. Now, there have been a lot of people who have served to work themselves up to a place so they can lead, right? Right? But Moses did it the other way around. Moses did it backwards. Moses went, he wanted to be a leader so he could serve. You remember because when God God called Moses to lead Israel, Moses kept saying, no, I can't for this reason, this reason, this reason. No, I can't. I can't. I won't. Can't do it. And God just kept answering every one of his excuses. Moses didn't want to do it, but he finally acquiesced. And the reason was, is because he wanted to help. He, he, he led for the purpose of helping. Now, we, as we've read in the Bible project, we've read through part of the Old Testament. And so Moses now is gone in the story where we're reading in the Old Testament right now, okay? So we're done with the story of Moses, or so we thought. Because hundreds and hundreds of years after Moses lived and died, all that was written about him, Jesus Christ comes. He lives here, dies for our sins, resurrected the third day, establishes the church on the day of Pentecost. And, 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 then, and then the rest of the Bible is being written as, as letters to the churches that were being established. And one of those letters is the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer there, he tells us something about Moses that is not anywhere in the Old Testament. Now, the Torah or the Old Testament law or whatever, it was not just the written the things that were written to God said, make sure everybody remembers this. But they also had the, the oratory, the things that they remembered, that they told, that they passed down, or the oral stories that they told. And so perhaps that was one of these, or there were historians like Josephus that also recorded things. So I don't know exactly where, where all of this came from, but here is one more thing. It's like, this is one of the very last things that we hear of Moses in the Bible, if you read it you know all the way from Genesis to Revelation, we're getting toward the end of the book. It's one of the last things we hear, and it, it really is to me the last thing we hear about his life. And it's chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Okay, so. If you know the story of Moses, he, his mom hid him because Pharaoh was killing all of the, all of the, the, the newborn male children of the Hebrews. He was going to put a halt to this generation rising up of the Hebrews. And so he was killing them all. So Moses' mother hid him. And Moses was found then by Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him into the palace and raised him as a member of the family. But at some point... At some point, Moses decides, this ain't it. You know, this ain't it. And, and now, and now I'm, I'm having one of those epiphany moments, you know. Now, uh, you know, I've come across this thought before this week studying this message, so, you know, I want you to understand that. But it's like, when I really got this, and I don't know when it was the first time, it's just, wow, it just changed my mind and attitude really about all that was going on in Moses' heart and mine. Because what I'm remembering is that Moses never said, "Hey, I'm done with Pharaoh in the palace." I remember Moses running because he's committed murder, right? That's that's what I'm remembering. So I'm like, "Now, whoa, plot twist here at the end." So just like the sixth sense, I got to rewind. I got to back up here and I got to look at some other things. So let's so that's what I want you to do with me here now, okay? So let's go back to that time when when Moses Uh, killed somebody, maybe committed murder, okay? And it's in Exodus chapter two, and this is really early in the story of what we know about Moses, verse 11 and 12. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Now, I read this. You know, the first times I read this, whatever. before I started putting this, this passion that Moses had for his people, and you know, until... Hebrews 11, 24, and 25 really got me. You know, I would read this and, uh, you know, and I, I would say, you know, I, I kind of gloss over that, but there's something important there. He said it twice. He went out to where his own people were. He saw, him, he saw an Egyptian being a Hebrew, one of his own people. And now that I know this plot twist, maybe, at the end of the story that, that Moses had decided, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I'm choosing, I, I'm a Hebrew, and I want everybody to know it. And now, now look what I'm seeing. I'm saying, wow. Moses decided, I'm going out here to check on on my people. And he gets out there and he sees one of his own people. That changes the whole context. It changes the whole attitude of of what's going on here. Here's Here's the thing, you know, we got it backwards. Moses climbed the ladder of success to be a leader in the opposite direction. He came down from the palace out to be just an ordinary man. And that's where God found him and said, you're my leader. You know, uh, man, scriptures in the Old, in, in the New Testament, you know, where Jesus is talking about the first to be last and the last first. You know, God, God's like, I can't deal with your pride. I can't deal with your attitudes and stuff. God's looking for somebody that wants to do it because they've got the right attitude and the right heart. And, 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 the, and the way to, to get ahead in the kingdom of God, the way to get blessed in the kingdom of God is to climb down the ladder, not up the ladder. We go in the wrong direction. We're seeking to get up. And man, you know what happens when you're doing that, don't you? Man, you're having to step on everybody and every rung all the way up. You know, but Moses was climbing backwards and he was going down. And so then Moses saw this happening. So what did he do? He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Okay. Um, I I could go into a a lengthy word search here about the difference in kill and murder. You know, and, and there actually is... Uh, difference in the Hebrew language, language as well, but he killed, didn't say he murdered. You know, and I know it looks like he said, oh, he looked this way and that. So he was going to murder him. Okay. Was it murder? Was it manslaughter? Was he just defending and it went too far and, he, and, and the man got killed? Or was, or was it Moses saying, hey, either this innocent Hebrew slave is about to die or I'm going to have to kill him to save his life. And Moses said, I got to step in and I, I can't let him do that. You know, I I don't don't know how you feel about it, you know what, And, and maybe there's not any definitive thing there, but now that I know the rest of the story, okay, now that I know, I'm now looking at Moses totally different and I'm not looking at Moses as a murderer anymore. I'm looking at a man who said... This is not what I want. I want real. I want my people. I want what God has called me to be. I don't want what somebody has given me for free. You know what he got tired of? He got tired of knowing that only because his mom hid him and by chance, luck, God's providence, Pharaoh's daughter found him every day of his life. He had all he wanted to eat and more. He had people waiting on him hand and foot. But in those same days, his brothers, his cousins, his nephews, all of, the, all of the people of Israel, they were being beaten and they were slaves. They didn't have the food to eat. They were dying early young deaths because they didn't have good medical care and all these things. And, he's, and, and these, are who, these are the people I am and I am just here just because somebody found me. And he said, I, I, I can't deal with that anymore. And so he chose to climb down the ladder to be the leader God called him to be. See, that, that's the attitude I have toward Moses. And you may not be there with me yet, but g- give me just a couple more moments to, to change your mind, okay? And I know, I know what, what we, we don't like to do is we, we really don't like to get involved anymore, right? We don't like to get involved anymore. You know, back when I was a kid, you used to have to always also worry about your neighbors spanking you if you got out of hand. We don't like to get involved anymore. You know, that, that's, that's their business. You know, now, uh, you know, these two, you know, the, the Egyptian slave taskmaster is beating up the, the Hebrew slave. And guys, look, uh, I really just don't want to take sides. We don't want to take sides. Can I tell you something? Because we don't like to be disliked. We don't like to be misjudged. We don't like people to judge us. But can I tell you something? If you have never been misjudged and you have never been disliked, you've probably never stood for anything in your life. But there's coming a day that you're going to have to stand up for something. You're gonna have to become the man or the woman of God you're supposed to be and stand up for something, or you're gonna have to tuck your tail like a little whip-pup and run off and let a real man or woman of God handle something. And when that happens and when you have to stand up, you're gonna be be judged, your actions are going to be uh, questioned, all, all those things are going to come into play. And you know, you can't stop that. I mean, look around. This country today that we're, we live in, I mean, it is so fractured. We're not, we're not a country of two nations, but I mean, we're fractured into hundreds of pieces right now. I mean, you can't say anything and without somebody's going to challenge what you just said. You know, it's going to happen. When, when, when you stand up for what you believe is right or when you state something that you believe is right, people are going to judge you. And I think we're even as Christians, we're backing off sometimes saying, oh, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't either. But you know what? There have been a lot of times, let me just say for myself, there have been a lot of times in my life I needed my feelings to be hurt and some other parts of my body too. There have been times like that. And what Here's, here's your only hope. If you don't want to be missed, your actions, your opinions, your ideas, your choices, all of this subject, people are going to judge you. The only thing you're going to have is your reputation. Let me tell you how to hold on to it right here. Is You and I must become men and women of such integrity that even the people who disagree with our actions cannot question our motives. And that is the best you can get in this world. They may still question your motives, but when you are a man or a woman of integrity, like I am seeing Moses now, and I think, let me give you a few more scriptures, and I think you're gonna follow me in this, is you're saying, okay, I'm I'm accepting now that this this is a man of integrity. And I don't question anymore what his motives are. Maybe I question a little bit about how Pastor did that, but I don't want you to question my motives. I don't want you to. Okay, so, so let me show you just a little bit more. Just a few verses down from that. Mo- so Moses does have to run because he's killed an Egyptian. And in uh, verse 16, so just a few verses down, he runs out. He, he gets far enough out of Egypt. He finally stops at a well to rest. And now a priest, of Midian, had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to, wa- uh, to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Okay, so here I see Moses again, and so now I'm thinking, I'm still thinking with that in my back of my mind, that Hebrews 11, 24, and 25, that Moses didn't want to be this. Moses was passionate about, why? So it wasn't, you know, Moses wasn't just about Israel. You know, it wasn't just about Israel. It was like, he was like the champion of all the oppressed, or people who were mistreated. You know, he, here he, he stands up, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here and do the right thing, run these Idiot's off, you know, listen. Whatever the situation is, it is always the right time to do the right thing. And let that sink in just a minute. Whatever the situation is. You know, sometimes people ask me questions and, and, and it's like, they want to give me this whole big huge story, you know, because all of this is folding into that. But you know, the real question is, what is the right thing to do? You know, it doesn't matter about that. It doesn't matter if it's a Hebrew, an innocent Hebrew slave or if it's seven daughters of a priest that are trying to water their flocks. It doesn't matter who it is. It is always the right time to do the right thing. The question is, what is it right to do? You know, and, 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 and man, we, 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 just, we just mess up our day. We mess up our lives. We mess up, we mess up our relationships trying to figure out what needs to be done. Just drop all of that and say, what is the right thing to do right here and right now? So let me, let me show you just one more thing in the life of Moses, okay? But you're gonna see it in two different places here Exodus 32, Numbers chapter 14, okay? These were the real tests of Moses' motivation to me, okay? And uh, these were the two times that God got the angriest at the Israelites. They had just, God has just delivered them out of slavery. He has destroyed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. They were chasing them down to kill them, and God's destroyed them. They get to Mount Sinai, and God says, "Moses, and come up here. Let's make a covenant." And now, most of us think about ten commandments. It was so much more than ten commandments. God said, "Moses, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to be a God to my people." And all the promises that I made to your great, 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 great grandfather Abraham, I am going to be the God I said I would be. I'm going to fulfill all all those promises, every single one of them. So here's the covenant. And, And yes, here's some things I want from you guys. I want you to honor me. Have no other gods before me. Don't use my name in vain. You know, don't murder. Don't lie. You know, don't covet. Yeah. And all those other things. So he's making a covenant. While he's making a covenant, Israel at the bottom of the mountain, they got tired, they said, well, Moses is up there and he's got God tied up, so God can't hear us pray right now, so let's make, a, let's make ourselves a God. So they, they take a bunch of their jewelry and they form themselves an idol and they do one of the, say one of the most stupid things I think ever uttered in the Bible is they make this idol and then they say, these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. And I'm like, you know, you guys walked out of Egypt several weeks ago. And this thing just came out of the fire a few minutes ago. You haven't even named it yet. And you say, this brought you out of Egypt? You know, man, don't we do some of the stupidest things too as well? And so God said to Moses, I can't handle these stiff-necked people. Get down from this mountain. Get down right now. I can't handle them. They haven't i mean, they even gotten the covenant yet, and they've already broken it. They broke it before you even got in the covenant. God said, you know, they don't have any heart for me. Get down from this mountain, Moses. Okay, that was the one time. Now, the other one was after they get a little closer to the promised land, God tells Moses, Moses, take 12 uh, spies and send them into the promised land. Have them scout it out, look at the cities, look at the crops, look at all the stuff. You know, they can map some of it and they can get an idea of some things and so you'll know where some things are and all of that. He said, scout it out. And so they scout it out and when they come back, Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they, they are like blown away. Man, it is awesome, it is wonderful. This truly is a land flowing with milk and honey. The crops there are so big, they actually, the Bible says they brought a, a cluster of grapes back that was so big they had to put it on a pole and carry it between two men on their shoulders. It was, it was so big just to get it off the ground. To, that, that, that's how blessed this place was. But the other 10 spies that went, they said, oh no. This is a place full of mighty people, strong people. They have strong armies. Their cities are mighty and mighty fortresses. Their, their walls, their, every one of their cities has walls around them. We'll never be able to defeat them. They, they even have one clan of NBA centers out there. You know, I, okay, it wasn't really like that. Okay, but that's maybe how you and I would say, you know, is that they've got one clan of people out there that every one of them could play center in the NBA. You know, because they, 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 they basically said they've got one whole race of giants out there. Every one of them is seven foot taller, taller. And he so said, there's no way. They scared the Israelis so much, these ten, that the Israelis said, Oh no, we can't go then. And then they began to complain and murmur all night long. And they said, Why didn't we just die in Egypt? Why didn't we just die in the wilderness? Now we're gonna go into into battle and they're gonna just wipe us out, kill us. Why did we have to die in battle? Why has God brought us out here to do this to us? And you know what God did? God did the same thing. Again, he said, Moses, I cannot handle these people anymore. Okay now, here's where the two stories really converge is because then God makes Moses an offer. Moses, God is so angry, both times he makes Moses an offer. He says, Moses, I cannot handle these people anymore. They are stiff-necked, he calls them one place. He says, he says uh, they have forgotten, they, they, they know they've seen all of the miracles I did to get them out of Egypt, they've seen all the miracles I've done to get them here, yet they are ignoring them and they act like I cannot take them into this land. And God says, I can't deal with them anymore. So Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to destroy them right here. But I made a pr- that promise to Abraham that I was going to make a great nation out of him. So I'm going to save you, and I'm going to start this nation all over again with you. Now That was the offer God made to Moses. I was thinking about that this week, and I'm, i i got to be really, really honest with you is I remember climbing, the. I remember as a young minister, you know, climbing the ladder and thinking, yeah, I'm going to get there and everything, all that. And you know what? If God had made that offer to me when I was a young minister, I don't know if I would have reacted maybe something more like, whoa, that's cool, God. You know, you, really? Oh, wow. So, you really intended this all along probably, right? And You just brought Israel along to teach me some lessons and help me learn some leadership stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way I thought a lot of times as, as a young minister, you know, because I, I think I was climbing, some days I was climbing the ladder in the wrong direction, not like Moses, I was climbing opposite the way Moses was climbing. And I don't, I don't, I don't know that, I might have seen, oh yes, because don't we do that, you know? Don't we do that sometimes as something that's not really great or good, but we see the hand of God in it? I might have seen the hand of God in this because God said, I'm done with him, I'm finished. But not Moses. You See, here's, here's, here's the big reason. This is it. This, if I hadn't talked you into believing Moses as a servant leader yet, here is the big reason right here. Because Moses didn't act like me as a young pastor. I, I, I hope that today I would see this the way Moses saw it. What Moses did was he immediately fell on his face before God. He fasted for 40 days, both times, and he prayed for 40 days. He told God things like, God, you can't do this. These are your people. These are my people. I mean, Moses had identified with him to such an extent that he could not see a nation coming out of him without these I mean, it's like, God, give us that kind of servant's heart. And he says, God, these are your people. If you do this, God, all the nations around are going to say, God had enough power, their God, Jehovah, had enough power to get them out of Egypt, but he didn't have enough power to get them to the promised land. They're going to say you had enough power to defeat Egypt and all the armies that we've f- defeated up to this point, but you didn't have enough power to protect us from our own selves. God, they're going to say, your love, your grace, your ability is not what it's supposed to be. And he said, forgive them, Lord. Forty days. And he touched the heart of God. And both times, God said, I'll forgive them just as you ask. That is definition of servant leader to me. A man that, he just had it all handed to him. He stepped away from the palace and he had it all handed back to him. Oh, it's really easy to say, oh, this is God giving me back what I gave up. No, maybe God's just testing you one more time. Check, check yourself, check yourself today. What's your attitude? You know, see, here's the thing with Moses, and now Moses, oh, and I gotta I, I got hurry. Up. Moses, Moses is now, he's like a foreshadow to us of Christ. You know what, a, a shadow is like something that kind of follows along behind you, right? A foreshadow is something that comes before. It tells you a little bit more. So Moses is like a foreshadow to us of Jesus Christ, the life of Moses. There was a people who needed deliverance. And God sends a deliverer, Moses. And he was kind of an outsider because he'd grown up in the palace, but he had left the palace because he was one of them, so he's kind of an insider too. And so he sends this deliverer, and this deliverer stands in the gap. Where? where? Right there, in those, those verses right there. He stood in the gap. That's what this, you ever heard stand in the gap? That's what it means. When Israel, Israel wasn't even asking God to forgive them. And he stood in the gap and prayed for them. And he served every one of them. And he led those who would follow. In the same way, that's a foreshadow of Christ. We are a people who need to be delivered from so many things. And God sends us to deliver. And this deliverer, He grew up in a palace, so he's kind of like an outsider, but he became a man, born in Bethlehem, so he could be an insider, so he would know what it's like to be you. And he came to deliver us, and he stood in the gap. When you and I, we can't reach God, but he came and became man and God both so that he could stand in the gap for us. And he, Jesus Christ has served every human being that has ever lived because the blessings of God through Jesus Christ run all across this earth. Yes, the curse of sin still does too, but the blessings of God are there. And he is, Jesus has served everyone and he leads those who will follow. So Moses is, I mean, in the Old Testament, I don't know that there's a greater servant leader. And obviously in the New Testament, Jesus is the servant leader. And he sends us, he sends us to another story Jesus does called the Good Samaritan. I need to, I'm gonna run through this real quick because I, I wanna refer to it in just a second. Let me just run through this real quick you don't even have to know the story. I'm not going to tell you the details of the story. I'm going to tell you the, the points behind the things that happened in the story is the leaders, quote quotation marks, right? Leaders. Those who were supposed to be leaders, they ignored the man in need. They ignored the man in need. And a lot of leaders do that today. Listen, we don't lead groups and, and and clubs and in small groups and even out there, you don't really lead even companies and things. You lead people. And when you start ignoring people, you're gonna lose your leadership. Even even in business. Because at some point your business is about people. And it may be because you have people working for you, or it may be because you serve people. They buy your products or whatever. And so if you ever forget the people, you're gonna lose your leadership. These leaders, they, they ignored the man in need, but the Samaritan noticed and he acted. Here's what he did. He approached the man. The others, they, they, they walked around on the other side, but this, he noticed and he approached the man. He supplied for the needs. He took his own stuff to take care of the needs. He gave up his seat. I like to think about it this way. He gave up his place of comfort for somebody who needed a little bit of comfort. He put up his own finances and he expected to help further. He said, I'm coming back tomorrow, and if there's anything else that's needed, just let me know, and I'll pay for it. You know, not this thing. You know what? A lot of us get caught in doing. You can say amen or oh me, me right here in just a second, okay? But we do it. Somebody tells us about a big problem they've got, and we're like, oh, man, that's horrible. You know what? I'm going to be praying for you. None of that. Not servant leader, he didn't say none of that. He said, I'm not gonna be praying in case there's a need tomorrow. I'm assuming you're gonna have a need tomorrow, and you know what, I'm gonna be back, and I'm expecting to pour into you again tomorrow. I'm expecting to be there again, I'm expecting to be there again, and I'm expecting. And Jesus tells us this story, why? So that we can become this type of servant leader. I don't have time to talk to you about the leader part of that. But the leader part really isn't the important part in the message today. I'm talking to you about serving. I'm not talking to you about being a slave, being somebody's doormat. I'm talking about helping someone, seeing someone need. Why why do we need to do it? because that's who Jesus was. Jesus said about himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, uh, for even the son of man, and that's one of the terms Jesus used sometimes speaking about himself, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you and I, we wouldn't say son of man, we'd say son of God. If the son of God has come here to serve and not be served, then are any of us, are any of us at the point that we need to be saying, hey, serve me? No. If he's coming here to say, I'm here to serve, then, then we should too. And, and, and here, here's, here's the truth of this, is, is that if we're following Jesus, if we're following Christ, and he is a servant, he's a helper, you cannot be following him if you aren't helping someone. You know, call it follow the leader, you know, monkey see, monkey do, whatever you want to call those old kids games or whatever. But if you aren't doing what the person you're following, you're not really following you're not, so we have to. Three more little things let me throw at you. I just, I, just, I just wanna, it's like I wanna just, I just wanna hit this three times real quick, okay? We are called to lead others to Jesus, and we do that through serving. Every one of us, you may, you may not think you're a leader. You've been called to lead somebody to Jesus, multiple people probably. But the way we do that is not telling them how bad and evil and ugly and everything they are. That's not how Jesus did it. He served. That's how he drew people to him. He served. He rolled up his sleeves. He took the towel. He took the water. He got down on his feet and he washed the feet of the men who would deny him in the next few hours. We lead others to Christ by serving. And, and here the second one. I told you I want to close with you. This, Three quick things just to hammer this home. In case you ever get to a point where, you know, like I was talking about my young ministry self, if it ever starts to kind of come back up in me or you, let me just remind you of this. Serving always comes before leading. When God is looking for a leader, he's looking for a servant leader. You know, everybody leads at some point. I don't have time to argue that. With you. All of us lead at some point in our lives. It's not hard to become a leader. What's hard is to become a servant. So God's not looking for the leader. He's looking for the servant. Serving comes before leading. And last thing, last thing, just to nail it home, as followers, I mean, this, this, this is just what I've been saying. This is the main point. As followers of Jesus, we are called to serve one another. This is what, this is what, it, this is what all of this was about this morning. We are called to serve one another. That's what we've been called to. That's what we've been challenged to be. And whether you're a leader or you feel like you're a follower, you're you're called to be a servant leader or a servant follower. Again, not slave, not doormat, but a helper to help. Can I ask you to join me at the front, if you will, stand and come this way. If you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close around front with a final song and a final prayer, and we'd love to have you join us if you're comfortable. So come on this way. Everybody, everybody take a step this way, just get people out of the aisle so they don't feel like they're standing apart from us, they're part of the crowd. Okay, let me, let, me, let me say this. Would you want to stand in the way of somebody serving today? Okay, the prayer team wants to serve you today, so come let them pray for you and serve you. Aren't right, They're wanting to serve you today. This is their thing, so give them the chance. Give them the opportunity, all right? But before we get there, I want to pray a prayer over you, okay? Um, and one of the ways, and I've, I skipped this in the first minute, but just throw it up there real quick. One of the ways we say this whole serving thing around here is it's not about me. It's not about me. When you, you know, at the point you became a Christian, it... Everything was about you. We got to, you know, God's got to get you home. You've got you've to gotta meet Jesus and all of that. But as soon as you met him, it's about somebody else needing to know Jesus now. It's about somebody else that's in need. You know, you, you were the person in the ditch with, with life and shambles and, and somebody helped you meet Jesus. And now it's about, let's find the next person in the ditch that needs to know Jesus. It's not about getting on that donkey and going down to the inn and spending six months. It's about finding the next person. It's not about me. So I want to pray this prayer over you. And I, and I, pray, I pray you will receive this prayer from, uh, from the pastor. And even if I'm not your pastor, you're in my congregation today. And so I'm going to pray it in authority and, and ask God to give it to you. But you still have to accept it. And I hope you will. I hope you will accept it and embrace it. But I hope you'll go further than that. I hope you'll also pray it as well. I hope you will get serious with me and pray this with me. Is God give me a greater servant's heart than I have ever had in my life? Let me stop seeing myself and let me start seeing others. You know, and so 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 many scriptures are coming to my mind right now. Thoughts of what I'd like to tell you if you will do this, what God has promised. I don't have time for that, but I'm going to pray that over you, and I pray you will pray that as well. God, give me my servant's heart. Maybe life has just wrenched it away from you. Give me my servant's heart back or, and give me a greater one than I've ever had. And listen, when I finish praying, don't start singing. Jamie's going to lead us in the final. So don't start singing until you finish praying. And, and, and if you've got needs, then please, at any point, we're ready. Just move on up. Let the prayer team pray for you today. This is their serving. Give them the opportunity to serve you today, okay? So let's pray. And Receive this and pray it along with me, if you will.